Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good to be here with you. And it's good to be here with Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm just going to dive right into this. So I'm going to start reading this morning from Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 1 to 8. And if you have Bibles or uh, devices or things like that, you can follow along. How many of you guys know that when Jesus speaks, he always tells the truth? How many people believe that? I believe that. So when Jesus speaks, he always tells the truth. So if someone says something that's the opposite of what Jesus says, what's the word for that? Oh, lie. Good. So let's read the scriptures here. Jesus is talking, and I love this. When Jesus had finished these sayings, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, What God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Now, in the beginning, God made us men and women, and he created marriage. And he did this so he could show his love for us and that we could show his glory. As it was in the beginning is still the pattern we can follow to know freedom and joy in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. And we open our hearts to receive what you want to give us. We ask your Holy Spirit would come and plant your word deep in our hearts. That it would grow and bear fruit in us. That you would change us and draw us closer to you through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, our topic is going to touch on issues of sex and sexuality and marriage. Am I allowed to talk about stuff like that in church? You know, I mean, isn't church supposed to be where we only talk about spiritual things? I don't know. But Jesus talked about it, so I guess it's okay if I do. You know, we're probably not going to talk about sex every week in church. But if we never talk about these things, we'll be giving people the impression that there are parts of our lives where Jesus and the Holy Spirit don't operate. In our times, an individual's sexuality and their behavior are considered completely personal and off-limits. This is how I feel. This is my choice. This is what I want to do, and nobody can say anything about it. 
And what about believers? Do we think that there's areas in our lives that are so personal and so individual that not even God is allowed in there? Do you have areas of your life that are no-go zones for Jesus? I mean, we love Jesus. We want Jesus to die for us. We want Jesus to forgive our sins. But is there just one area of life where, like, if I let God in there, he'll ruin everything? Do we say, Jesus, take my heart and make your home there. Be comfortable. Do whatever you want. But that room there, that's off limits. Don't go in there. That's my personal space. That's the piece I keep for me. That door's locked. I have the key. Or do we hand Jesus the keys and say, take control, Lord. It is all yours. This is really the essence of purity. Allowing God's truth and his sanctifying presence into every thought, every action, and every area of our life. The Bible says to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. For Jesus to be Lord at all, Jesus must be Lord of all. And that includes sex and sexuality. This is week seven of our series, Statement of Faith. And we're walking through the Statement of Faith together because we know that what we believe will determine what we do and how we behave. And what we do and how we behave will make the difference about whether we will experience blessing and success and joy and freedom. The statement of faith for Grand Valley Church says, we believe that sexual purity is a necessary expression for all God's children and requires abstinence from adultery, fornication, incest, homosexuality, or other sexual relationships or practices forbidden by Scripture. And it says we believe that marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. And it is a sacred institution established by God. It's really remarkable to me, since I've only lived a short time on this earth, and really not a very long time, that in my short lifetime, these statements have gone from being very obvious to everyone to being very highly contested and controversial. Today, our culture embraces many strange ideas. Sex, sexuality, and gender are extremely politicized and difficult to talk about in the public arena. By the way, I'm not going to get into the political side of this thing this morning, so you can relax about that. The world is more likely to be tolerant of our faith statement when we talk about things like the Holy Spirit and the Trinity than they will be when we, when we tell what the Bible says about sexuality. But I don't think we can afford to avoid this discussion because it's so important. Because the meaning of sexuality is a big part of understanding what it means to be a human being. Because there's no area of life that's outside the lordship of Jesus. Someone should yell amen when I say that. But I know you're still shocked that I'm using that word. So, <clears throat> there's no area of life that's outside the lordship of Jesus. Stick with me to the end. It gets, it's going to get easier, okay? But because, and because Jesus has the answers to our most important questions. And he has the solutions to our biggest problems. And because God has a purpose in our lives for sexual purity, and for the reason he created human beings, to be sexual beings. We need to know how to respond to the questions and controversies of how people should live in our modern world, and to do that, we need to look at how Jesus answered these questions. 
So the Gospel of Matthew, that's what we're going to do right now. The Gospel of Matthew tells us a group of people opposed Jesus and they tried to shut him down, so they came to him with a question about Moses and the divorce laws. It was a trick question because they believed that no matter which way Jesus answered, they could use it to discredit him. Okay, if Jesus says, no, no, divorce is wrong, they're going to say, Jesus disagrees with Moses. Moses, the great teacher who received the law of God from Mount, on Mount Sinai from the hand of God himself, Jesus doesn't agree with Moses. But if Jesus says, no, Moses said get a divorce, so okay, get a divorce, then they'll say, Jesus doesn't support family values. He's against the family. Oh my goodness. He's a liberal. So they were going to use this against Jesus no matter what way he answered. And I didn't have time to go down that bunny trail, so sorry about that. Let's go. But Jesus answers them by talking about sex and marriage and God's plan for men and women. He skips right over the law of Moses. And he goes further back to an older law. A law that was more powerful than the law of Moses. The law of the beginning. The law of creation. The laws and patterns that God built into the world when he created it. And that have never been rescinded. Jesus says, if you want to understand about men and women and relationships, you need to get back to the very beginning because that's when God built the patterns into creation that still apply today. So let's follow Jesus back to the beginning. In your Bibles, that's in Genesis chapter 1 and in chapter 2. First, Jesus points to this. He says, so he quotes the scriptures from Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created human beings in his image. This is a foundational truth for human life, for human relationships, for human society. It's the foundational truth for human rights. It's the foundation for every one of the Ten Commandments. And it's the foundation for the teaching of Jesus. When Jesus teaches, love God and love your neighbor... He says that because your neighbor is made in God's image. And Jesus commanded us to honor the image of God in people by serving them and bearing each other's burdens. Made in God's image, no one's considered to be an object or a tool or a possession for the use of another person. And God's image in human beings includes sexuality. In the Image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Humans as male and female is foundational to humans being made in God's likeness. We can't separate the two ideas. Both men and women are made in God's image, which is nice because it makes us equal, men and women. Both men and women are made in God's image, so that the maleness of a man is in the image of God and the femaleness of a woman is in the image of God. But there's not two different images of God, there's only one image of God. Why did God make us male and female and cause all that trouble? Why did he make us male and female? To bless us, to demonstrate his love in us and to show his glory through us. There's no room here for gender as a social construct. 
or anything other than maleness and femaleness carrying God's image. It also means that sexual behavior is not merely our own personal and private business to do as we please. God made sexuality to be an expression of his divine nature and glory. That's why the Bible says sexual sins are more destructive than other kinds of sins. But that's not because God is a prude from the Victorian era. It's because adultery, fornication, and other wrong relationships distort the image of God that he put into us when he created us. Then Jesus quotes from Genesis chapter 2. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. God created marriage at the same time he created people. If marriage was a human invention, we could redefine it or do whatever we want with it. But God created marriage. And Jesus is saying, don't change what God established at the very beginning. God's plan for people is for sexual God's plan for people is for sexuality to be expressed in marriage. The one flesh relationship is more than just the attraction between two sets of hormones. One flesh is not just a romantic metaphor or poetry. It's a reality in God's design for men and women and why he made us the way he did. And the Bible goes even further than this. We read in Ephesians that the one flesh relationship in marriage is a prophetic picture of God's relationship with the church and is an illustration of his covenant commitment to love us. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Jesus gave an answer to the Pharisees and said that God built the nature of women and the nature of men into the fabric of creation and gave them the gift of marriage as an illustration of God's own covenant commitment to love us forever. And then Jesus tells them that the reason they're not experiencing life as God planned it is the hardness of their hearts. The Pharisees were attacking Jesus, but their hearts were hardened to the, against their own wives. Their hearts were full of adulterous thoughts. And Jesus exposed them right there and said, your hearts are hard. That's why you can't receive what I'm telling you. Well, how'd that happen? Today we have more information about sex and more sexual imagery and more freedom than we ever had, and yet we have more problems and more loneliness and more unhappiness and more dysfunction than ever. We're not experiencing the life that God designed for us because first, we're trying to live in a way God never designed creation or our hearts to work. And second, because our hearts are hard. We can look in Genesis chapter 3 and see that the world God made for man and woman to live in was designed to please them and fulfill them in every way. God was Lord in every part of their lives, and he looked after them. And then the serpent came to them and told them they could do better if they were in charge. And he says, you will be like God. You'll be free. You'll be able to make your own decisions about what's right and what's wrong for you. That same philosophy is still being promoted today. And it was a lie then, and it's a lie now. That wasn't going to happen what he told them was going to happen. 
Adam and, Adam and Eve believed the serpent and they ate of the forbidden tree. And the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. And they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God can't see me. I'm hiding behind a tree. Like, you just get that? Oh, people, humans. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. There's a rumor out there that when human beings fell into sin, something good happened. Okay? That's not true. You'll hear it. Okay? But it's not true. Nothing good happened. Every single thing that happened because of the fall was contrary to what God wanted for them. And the first result we see that happened is that it did terrible damage to their one flesh relationship. Now, we're often, you're also going to hear the idea that this is when Adam and Eve discovered sex. That's not true. They were already married. And by the way, the Bible says Adam and Eve were married people. They were already married. They already knew all about these things. And they already knew what each other looked like. It's not like the man suddenly realized that Eve wasn't wearing any clothes. Okay? That's not what happened. He knew what she looked like. And she knew what he looked like. Nothing she hadn't seen before. So what does it mean? The man did not suddenly realize Eve was naked. He already knew she was the most beautiful, lovable, and desirable person in the whole world. That's how every man sees his wife. And she knew the same thing about him. What terrified Adam and terrified him was the realization of his nakedness. Up to this point, Adam's life had been focused completely on God and on his wife. Does that make sense? Up to this point. And then his focus turns now and it's on himself. He sees his nakedness. He sees that he's exposed. He sees he needs protection. He needs to worry about his needs are going to get met. And Eve, same thing. She sees how naked she is, how alone she is, how vulnerable she is. And she needs to start worrying. And she needs to be cautious. She needs to put up defenses to protect herself. They both became focused on themselves. And this led to selfishness, to selfish thoughts and selfish desires. Sin placed a barrier that separated them from God and separated them from each other. And this pattern of rebellion and selfishness continues to distort our desires and our relationships, and it's the root of the turmoil and trouble we face today. The Bible says God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. I just mean, give them over? What does that mean? God made them sinful? No, it means he didn't kill them for it right away. Okay? God gave them over. He let them, okay, that's what you want. 
God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. This is a picture of a broken world, full of broken relationships and broken hearts, and it's the world we live in today. Someone's going to say, well, isn't there an answer? Isn't there some way God can, can recreate the world and, and bring us back to the, the garden and all those wonderful blessings and, and, and bring us back to our, our original purity of the image of God and man? And yes, there is a way, and I want to explain it to you. But I don't have time to do that this morning. So I'll do it next week. So if you want to hear about the great restoration and why we need to learn how to remember the future, you come next week and we'll talk about it. Look, this is a picture of a broken world and we all live in it. That's why the statements of faith can be difficult to talk about. Because just as Jesus did, the statement of faith points to where our hearts are hard and how we hide from God. We do not proclaim the statement of faith to point fingers at other people's sins. We are pointing to God who has a purpose for us that is far better than anything we can imagine or desire. And with the statement of faith is our faith in God's promise of forgiveness and healing for everyone in Jesus. We all live in this twisted, broken world We've all been hurt in some way by the distortion of desire and by the perversion of God's plan. Some of us have done things that have hurt ourselves. Some of us have been hurt by what other people have done. Some of us have hurt other people. But God still has a beautiful plan for us. God makes a way back through forgiveness and healing. We all need it. We all need to come to Jesus to receive his forgiveness and obtain his new life. I believe if we need a revival today, that revival needs to include a return to purity where Jesus is Lord in every area of life and we show our world he has the power to forgive and to heal every single kind of sin. None of us is left out. It's for all of us. None of us are too bad. None of us are beyond hope or beyond transformation by the Holy Spirit. We need our faith to make this statement because culture is not, because culture is not inevitable. It's changed by the truth. Now today we're sometimes told that we're living in a new and unique time. A time that's never been like this before. And that we need to change what we believe and what we preach to match the culture. But you know, there's nothing new about our culture. In terms of sexual sins and attitudes. We read about the first church in the book of Acts. And I'm a historian, so I can tell you this. That those people lived in the middle of a godless culture that practiced every type of sexual sin and distortion that we see happening today 
and a whole bunch more that we're not even tolerating yet. That was their culture. But when the truth came, when the church told them about the forgiveness and freedom they could find in Jesus, those people abandoned their former practices. They dropped them like a hot rock. They came into the church, even though some of them were adulterers and some of them were prostitutes and some of them were homosexuals and people practicing every kind of immorality. They came into the church and they were changed by the power of the truth in the gospel. And the Bible says this. The Bible says, that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It started small, one person at a time. But within a few generations, that culture's attitude around sexuality and marriage changed completely. People were set free from their old ways. The Christians developed a new form of family, a form for the family that had never existed before, a model built around marriage where men loved their wives and women had dignity and where children were valued for who they were. That became the most successful version of the family that has ever existed in human history. Culture is not inevitable. We're not, we haven't lost. We're not going to surrender when our victory is just around the corner. Truth changes culture. So Jesus said, go back to the beginning to see what God wants for you today. In the beginning, God showed his love for us by making us men and women so we could live the way he designed in his world and show his glory. I can practice purity because I believe that my life has a purpose in God, that he is my creator and my maker, and that he gave me Jesus so I can live for him, and that I am complete when Jesus is Lord of every area of my life. As it was in the beginning, it's still the way God wants it to be for us so that we can live in freedom and joy with him in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.